RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan. It is UFC 286 Fight Week. Appreciate everyone taking time out to download, listen to this episode, whether you're listening to us, maybe it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Podcasts, or even on YouTube. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Of course, if you are uh, watching on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel. That is much appreciated. Of course, leave a comment. You got something that myself and Daniel have to say about what is going on. Daniel, I've had a chance to, uh, a little bit of a, a, a refresh this week for me. Took two days off, uh, went over to, uh, to Orlando for a couple of days. Me and my wife had a nice little, nice little time over there. But back to the grind of uh, this MMA coverage. Uh, UFC 286 took in the press conference. We're going to talk about UFC 286. But really, Daniel, uh, where I want to start is Conor McGregor. And he does this interview with Ariel Hawan. He's been making the tours on Fox News, whatnot. One of my initial thoughts of, of watching this interview, is probably about a 20-minute interview, it almost feels like it's a PR tour that Conor McGregor's on right now to rehabilitize, uh, rehab this professional image that I think a lot of people have of him. Yeah, I guess he just went to a, a boardroom with his whole team. They're like, all right, guys, how are we going to fix the image? We had some pretty bad press. We may have committed some crimes in, in the past couple of years. But we need to make some money and promote a fight. What do we got to do to sell the fact that I'm a clean-cut guy? Uh, let me shave my facial hair. I think that's their big strategy, Jason, is, is clean-cut Connor. And I'm going to be honest with you, I absolutely hate it. All right, there are some people in this world that don't need facial hair like me and you. We look great. We have uh, uh, great chins and whatnot. It's Connor without the – It's huh? called I can't grow it. Literally, yeah, I, I can I can literally shave, not shave for a week. It would just be stubble. Wow, I I can't relate to that. You know, I gotta, I have to be recorded shirtless later this week, and I'll dive more into it on our next podcast. So I am a hairy man, and I have been shaving every day. My chest looks like a war zone. But regardless, <laughs> you know, we both look good, clean-cut, Connor. Uh, you may need to add some scruffle. Uh, but, yeah, he did the press tour, the 50-minute Ariel Helwani interview. I know you watched it. I mean, what did you glean from that or, or from his other media hits? What's kind of the big takeaway from Connor's PR tour, Jason? Clearly, it's the USADA comments. I mean, you know, there was a lot of things that – I'll actually, you know, the first thing is I was like, damn, they take this season of the ultimate fighter quick. I feel like they only take this thing for like a week and a half, two weeks. It seems like they just rushed through the season. Now, the one interesting thing he did say about the ultimate fighter was that it was initially supposed to be against Nate Diaz, which I thought was kind of interesting with, we know the, the contract and, and, you know, Nate Diaz and, and the UFC. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he brought that up there. He said, he goes, look, the, the Trojan matchup has to happen at some point. Um, you know, also kind of talk about the France and Ghana situation. And, you know, he brought up a really good point about kind of, you know, Francis and you know, using the PI and kind of everything that, has gone down with that. And, you know, of course, uh, Scott Coker made his comments last week. Like, I saw this headline earlier today as I was going down MMA Twitter, and it was uh, a headline Francis Ngannou narrows his choices down to one championship in the PFL. And I'm like, did he narrow them down or were they narrowed down for him? 
Yeah, are you saying basically that Bellator wasn't going to come to the table with that? or Okay, when you listen to Scott Coker, and yeah. we, we both know Coker does not do a ton of media, so you got to really dive in. And to me, the, the comment that he made last week where he's, he's talking about, he was asked about Francis Ngannou, and, and he says, you know, basically he goes, if we can have an equitable situation, which to me took as, hey, Francis, come down to our terms. And, you know, and, and to me, and, and I said this on, on the podcast earlier this week, I said, like, I do wonder if, like, we're talking two years from now, are we going to look at Francis Ngannou and go, man, kudos for this guy trying to make changes, but boy, it did not work out for him. I don't know because I feel like he's going to get the money. Promotions like PFL and 1FC, they have very, very, very – they have purses that are so big, it's unexplainable when you look at some of the free agent signings that they make. So I think he's going to be able to cash out. I don't think he's going to be a part of a major pay-per-view, but because of the lower-level heavyweights – I think he's going to be able to cruise through his non-UFC run, Jason, make a pet, make a make a couple sizable checks. And to be frankly with you, I wouldn't be surprised if in two years he returns back to the UFC for a money fight against John Jones. Look, I hope he gets the bag, you know, and if that bag's gonna come to me, it's gonna come in boxing, it's not gonna come in MA. Like if, if I'm PFL and I'm sitting back and I'm saying, okay. The UFC doesn't want your business. You've clearly put a dollar figure to Bellator that they've just said, we can't make money on you. And, and, you know, I I understand that we live in a world where I think we are always, we are going to be fighters first, but I have to look at from a business side. If I'm Scott Coker, whatever amount of money that Francis Ngannou makes, to me, it's not about the first fight. There's going to be intrigue with that first fight. What are fights two, three, and four of that deal? And also, if I'm a promoter, I think there has to be kind of some concerns about the age of Francis Ngannou. You know, the fact of he's a year post-surgery and it doesn't sound like he's ready to fight anytime soon. Like, that to me makes me wonder, maybe is there a little bit more about, like, to me, if I was the PFL and I'm going to sign Francis Ngannou, I'd almost want to say, hey, we want to see you this doctor before we sign this deal. And we want to see what this doctor says about your health. Yeah, that has to be a concern given how long he's been on the shelf, his age, and also his size. Injuries concern me with bigger athletes more so than with lighter weight athletes because the various things that could get injured get more wear and tear from the greater size. So those are really valid concerns. I think that he's going to get the bag from someone just because it does appear as though in the non-UFC landscape, even look at a promotion like KSW or Ryzen or these promotions that are paying Floyd Mayweather big time money for exhibition bouts, there is a lot of money out there for things that don't necessarily make sense. If I was a promoter, I would probably be handling my business similar to Scott Coker in that if I'm going to pay someone a lot of money, if I'm going to sign the best heavyweight in the world, he's going to command a, a pretty pretty sizable penny. So if I'm going to spend that much money, I need to get that back with the fights I promote with him. And thus far, there hasn't been a non-UFC MMA promotion that has 
put on a pay-per-view event in a very long time that I think would pay back what you spend on the Francis contract. So that would be my concern. But I still think Francis is going to get that money because we've seen promotions who haven't been able to put on massive pay-per-views internationally still spend a crap load of money on free agents. Yeah, I mean, I and I was having this kind of this this back and forth on Twitter, John Nash, and you know, to me, one of my things, and and I look at, I tend to look at things a little differently because of the business that I'm in, and you know, I'm you know part of a, of a restaurant group that we have shown UFC pay reviews. Now we've kind of got out of showing UFC pay reviews just because we're just not seeing the return on it. We're we're just not seeing people come in like they once did. And when we we have a Francis Ngannou pay review, I'm just going to tell you, it didn't do well. And and that's where I think it's, you know, it's this understanding like, look, I want to see Francis get paid. I want to see all these fighters get paid, but also there is a, both sides of this equation have to make money. It's not, not just, you know, it can't be one sided. And and so I thought those Coker comments were interesting. I mean, Connor's one of those guys that it doesn't matter whether Connor fights in July, August, September, October, People are going to tune in. It don't matter what time of day it is. It could be an afternoon card here in the United States. It could be a nighttime card in the United States. He's going to get a lot in there. But to me, the biggest thing that stuck out to me about his interview with Ariel was the comments about USADA and getting back in the drug testing pool. This was Connor's quote. I'm not rushing nothing. There's hurdles and whatnot, but we're in contact. We're in constant communication, and there's an interview scheduled and a meeting that will happen, and then it will be official. But the six months thing, what they said has two clean tests and off I go. So I assume it won't be too long. Now, USADA came out with a statement that said, quote, while we meet with all of our athletes who enter or re-enter the testing pool, we do not currently have a meeting set with Connor. And as of Thursday, we have not received notice of his coming out of retirement to compete. The UFC rules are clear that in addition to two negative tests, an athlete must must make himself available for testing six months before returning to competition. This is a fair way to ensure an athlete does not use their retirement status to gain an unfair advantage by using prohibited substances during their retirement period, which would enhance their performance unfairly if they ultimately decide to return to competition. While the rules permit the UFC to make an exception to the six month rule in exceptional circumstances, when the strict application of the rule would be manifested unfair to the athlete, our position, which we have made clear, is that Connor should be in the testing pool for a full six-month period. That's the end of the USADA quote. And when I, I read that statement from USADA, the one name that really comes to my mind immediately is Henry Cejudo, who re-entered the testing pool. Of course, he's now going to uh, challenge Alderman Sterling on May 6th for the Bantamweight title as he returns to competition. As when I went back and I'm watching this Connor interview, one of my thoughts is why have you just not entered the testing pool now? Like I always talk about Daniel perception is not always reality, but I feel like when you listen to those comments that Connor made, it makes you go Connor. Why not just re-enter the pool now? If you're making it clear, you want to fight. Probably didn't want to test positive. If I had to guess, that's just my guess. I don't know. It's all perception, but that would be the only logical reason why I as an athlete would not enter the testing pool is if I was concerned that those tests would not come out in a way that I would like. That's the only explanation I can see right now. 
you know, why are you doing this press tour without having already entered the, the testing pool? Why are you doing the ultimate fighter show without already getting that six month period underway? My just looking at what makes the most sense is the fact that there's a concern that maybe he's going to he's going to test, you know, positive and it's been a while since we've had a story like this, you know. It's it's a, it's a throwback to the Vitor Belfort years or you know, Alistair Overeem who I guess just recently got caught with his hand in the uh testosterone cookie jar with his <laughs> matchup with Bader Hari. So it's been a while since we've had a guy who I think a lot of people in the general public, myself included, think took advantage of this retirement to use performance enhancing something to get that muscle. That's just what I believe as a fan. And the other thing I believe as a fan, having been a fan for a long time is I'm quite cynical about this situation. Uh, the little bit in that quote where USADA talks about the exception, I, I feel like Connor may take advantage of that exception just because as a cynical mixed martial arts fan, when it comes to the big money superstars, they do play by a completely different rule set than every other athlete. And before the show, you brought up a great point to how, and we know this, the the stars play by different rules, but you brought up a great name of an example of this. Yeah, Brock Lesnar is someone who did not do six months of testing and fought. And, you know, there's... There's legal stuff going on with that and with old Mark Hunt, you know, kudos to him for fighting for that. But it it's it's a business. The UFC is a big time business. And my general philosophy with the UFC is just follow the money, you know, like Woodward and Bernstein in the, in the 60s. Follow the money. The UFC is going to do things to make a lot of money. Promoting Conor McGregor in a fight is going to make them a lot of money. An obstacle in their way could be this. And I do not have confidence in the UFC that they will play it straight. I have confidence that the UFC will get Conor in that cage against Chandler and sell a lot of pay-per-views. And that's not to say that's not what I would or wouldn't do if I was in charge of the UFC. That's just to say... That's the history of the organization is they bend over backwards to make a lot of money, which to be fair is what so many different businesses do because that's the whole point. Put more green in their bank account. Yeah. I mean, it's, you talk about perceptions when you watch something and my perception was almost like it came off like Connor, like Ari, he has a deal with the UFC of like, Hey, I just got, I'm going to provide you these two negative tests and I'm good to go. It also makes me wonder, like, if I'm Michael Chandler and his team, like, it would be very fascinating to know what they have been said on a timeline for this fight. Yeah, and and they should do their due diligence in this because this is a fight from a skill set standpoint that Chandler should win. But if Connor has an unfair advantage with his power, that's a great equalizer. Connor already has dynamic power. I mean, it's how he became a legend with his knockout win over Aldo. And the performance-enhancing substances that one could use could elevate that aspect of his game and could cause Chandler to be waking up shortly after 
Bruce Buffer introduces him. So that needs to be something that his camp is diligent about, not just a passerby. I also thought it was interesting that he was asked about the potential location for the event. And Connor just starts naming multiple places, mentions, mentions Vegas, mentions, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't say Dallas by, by name, but it was clearly he was talking about it. Cause he talked about, you know, the big stadium in Texas. Well, obviously that's Dallas. He mentioned about MSG. He also mentioned about London. And, and I kind of like wonder, I, like, I almost kind of feel like if you're the UFC, like if you're going to do a big Connor fight right now, maybe you go to Ireland right now before, because I am fully believe if Conor McGregor beats Michael Chandler, his next fight will be for a title, whether it's at 55 or 70. I don't, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter. I know people are going to get up in arms of Conor getting a title matchup, but it would be surprising to me if Conor beats Chandler and then his next fight's not for a title, particularly, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, if Leon Edwards walks away as the welterweight champion on Saturday night, because I think that would be a tailor-made matchup for Conor McGregor. And that would be one hell of an atmosphere if that fight were to happen in England, like the one we'll see on Saturday. Uh, I, I like what you're laying down about the idea of doing this one in Ireland, because even though this will do a good buy rate because it is a Conor fight, it's not a big-time Conor fight. It's not a Nate Diaz Connor fight. It's not a championship fight Connor fight. It's not the type of fight that I would feel confident about going into Dallas Cowboys Stadium with. The next fight would. And the next fight, the big fight, is not a fight I would want to go to Ireland with. So I agree with kind of what you're putting down there. It would be really interesting. I mean, I know an Abu Dhabi car is is on the books now too. I believe that will be UFC one. Um, excuse me, UFC uh, uh, 294, I believe, will be Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I want to say it's October 21st. Yeah, so I, I couldn't see it there, but it's certainly possible. I mean, Abu Dhabi does get some really big fights, obviously, and they'll, they'll get two championship fights on that fight card. But, uh, yeah, I think especially with this Saturday, there's a real appreciation watching guys fight in their home country right the idea of moreno and grasso fighting in mexico that's going to be awesome the idea one day of of, of drikas or kamaru fighting in africa i mean that's an exciting idea and, and connor to return to ireland as the superstar that he is after the way that crowd reacted to him when i believe it was dennis siever he fought on that fight night it would be a really nice uh, full circle moment in his career and for the UFC and, and for the fans. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, you bring up about the potential of a card in Africa. You remember when that was talked about, it was talked about this trio of African champions that UFC had Francis Ngannou, Israel Adesanya, Kamaru Usman. None of those guys are UFC champions anymore. That to me is why you have to strike while the iron is hot. And we're already hearing that Volkanovsky and Yair is going to be in Las Vegas during International Fight Week. John Jones has come out today with a tweet basically saying, hey, Stipe, you going to sign the contract or what? <laughs> Alluding to maybe there, there's some there's some issues going on there with Stipe signing on, on the bottom line, even though Stipe has said see you in July. Um, it would be, and I said, I said this last week, it would be promotional malpractice. If you're the UFC, you do not go to Mexico City with at least 
two of the three Mexican champions currently in the UFC. And this is why you got to strike while iron's hot because you know what? This sport can change in an instance. One kick can change who we believe was the, the greatest welterweight or potentially the greatest welterweight in UFC history. I mean, that, that's just the way this sport unfolds. I mean, it, it, this sport comes at you crazy. And, you know, we can kind of now lead into UFC 286. I, I was watching the pre-fight pass conference today. And overall, Daniel, like, I really don't like these press conferences in front of fans. I just don't. Because it just it, it became it becomes a pep rally. In all reality, it becomes a pep rally. The one interesting thing that was brought up is a question was asked to both Leon and Kamaro of hey, um, we're hearing some rumblings that Colby Covington is a backup fighter. Either one of you guys know about this? And both of them go, Nope, haven't heard a thing. Which I'm like, hold on. If there is a backup fighter, you better tell the two guys who are in the fight. Yeah, yeah, I agree, especially for maybe the coach and the camp to come up with a, with a game plan, especially because for Kamaru, that's a completely different fight than Leon. I mean, for Leon's camp, I mean, they, they could expect some wrestling out of, out of Kamaru, but man, there's probably no bigger difference in this welterweight division than what Leon Edwards brings to the table and what Colby Covington brings to the table. So that, that's a good point, but I hope we don't see that. I mean, I'm so excited for the main event. Uh, I it, it's it's a great trilogy matchup. You sent me a really awesome clip of, of UFC promo video, and all I gotta say after watching that clip is, is the commentary team that night absolutely nailed it. I mean, they told a beautiful story about Leon being resigned, and the head kick bang is just such a hell of a call. The UFC commentary crew and also Leon's coach, kudos. Your audio made history because that it's just uh, it's perfection when you listen to that promo video. Yeah, for people who have not seen, I know it's on the UFC, UFC Europe Twitter account. It is an amazing promo, and you know, look, their their second matchup is one of those fights that if you watched it live, I feel like you're going to remember where you're at. I remember. It was during the preseason. I want to say we were in Nashville and I'm sitting in the hotel bar, with literally the phone just in front of me and me and the boys just sitting there taking this pay-per-view in on my iPhone <laughs> as we're sitting at, at the bar have, having some beers. And, you know, and the video talks about this where, and, and after the knockout, Daniel Cormier's talk like, we were writing this guy's obituary three minutes ago. Yeah, and one of the things, and it wasn't until I went back and, and I watched second fight again, you forget about the first round because I think we remember rounds two, three, and four so much. You forget about the first round. Leon Edwards had a great opening round, arguably 10-8 round. Then Kamar Usman goes out and dominates in round two, three, and four, and it looks like he is well on his way. Also, I think Kamar Usman has handled this magnificently this week. He's like, look, I made a mistake. He caught me. He knocked me out. He goes, but as I look at this matchup, overall, to me, this is Kamaru Usman's fight to lose because if he just goes the wrestling route, I don't see how he loses this fight. I just don't see how he loses it. If you tell me this is a kickboxing matchup, it is favored Leon Edwards. But here's the questions I have about Kamaru Usman heading into Saturday. A, this is a man who's about to turn 36 years old. B, we know about the hand injury he's been dealing with, which is why this fight has taken this long to take place. The first fight was seven months ago. And three, 
Father Time catches up with them all. And I go back to that when Usman was on Joe Rogan a couple of years ago, and he just talked about essentially how his body is deteriorating. And I just wonder, as much as I like Usman and the wrestling ability to go out there and implement that gameplay and get the win, have we seen the best of Kamaru Usman? Well, we probably have, but that's just because he's put on the second greatest welterweight championship run I've ever seen. So I don't necessarily think he's going to top that in the next five years, but can he return to form? I think that's a real possibility. I have great confidence in his camp. The Trevor Whitman camp is one of the best camps you can be a part of. And both him and Gaethje are, are, I have great confidence that they're going to perform at a high level. All the concerns you bring up are, 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 are spot on. The thing I got to say is two things that happened in the last fight I feel very confident won't happen here. One, you spoke about round one. I do not believe Leon's going to get a takedown in the rematch <laughs> or in the trilogy. <laughs> that was crazy when he yeah. shot and got that takedown. I think Kamara is going to be very vigilant. The other thing, though, is this. Leon fought like ass in rounds two, three, and four. In his home country, with the confidence of the knockout, he, I believe, will fight a lot better than that in rounds two, three, and four. Now, the thing about Leon Edwards is he's not the type of striker that's going to win fight of the year every single year. He is a very smart, meticulous, technical striker. A lot of his fights have been chess matches. He doesn't dominate with aggression that allows Kamaru to steal rounds but I do believe that in rounds two three and four in the last fight Leon did not flip the switch and I think that's going to be completely different in the rematch by the way uh, mentioning about the betting side of this fight of course uh Leon uh, Leon Edwards the underdog plus 200 minus 240 when it comes to the other side in terms of Kamar Usman, but looking at the props, this is where I think it's kind of interesting. I think it tells you a lot about thing. Win via decision, Usman plus 100, plus 450 for Leon Edwards. Fight goes to decision, minus 170. Fight does not go to decision, plus 130, where I think it's kind of a juicy prop. And even though I think that, that Edwards has got good submission defense, plus 1,400 for Usman to win via submission, I think is a is kind of an, a, an intriguing prop you want to go out there. I mean, all, overall, I think it's, this is probably going 25 minutes. If, if Edwards can keep this on the feet, it would not surprise me if he goes out there and knocks out. And, and I am sure, I mean, like the, the UFC is never going to come out and say who they want to win the fight, but we both know. they much rather have the fighting style of Leon Edwards than Kamaru Usman. Yeah, even though Usman put on one hell of a fight with Colby, whenever he's not fighting a guy that can negate his wrestling, his fight style isn't the most exciting versus Edwards can give you that highlight reel knockout. Uh, It's ironic that now maybe they're in the Edwards camp when you think of how hard it was for Leon to get to the championship opportunity. That was the story of his career was the amount of things that went wrong for him whether it be having fighters jump above him, being in a big-time matchup with Tyron Woodley, they got scratched by the pandemic that the UFC did end. I can't wait for their documentary about how they, how they ended COVID. Uh, 
dude, dude. It, first off, okay. Why does the media live rent free in Dana's head? Because it's the only place where he gets called out for his BS. <laughs> dude, I, 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 I saw. I mean, he he went on this tour again this week, and I'm sitting there just and the the funniest tweet had to be Brian Campbell who said, "I guess I need to update my MDB page." Yeah, maybe you know the Oscars just happened. Maybe he'll win one this year. I mean, look, I I don't know, bro. I mean, Dana's just out here. Like he's he's wild. He's a wild man. There are things I like about him. There are things I don't like. Certainly don't like the fact that he slapped his wife, and uh, that's crazy that nothing happened to him for that. Well, I mean, look, oh, okay. So when that documentary comes out that he's talking about, you know, to blast the media from something from you know three years ago at this point now, like you know, there are going to be media that are going to say, "All right, game on, Dana. Game on. Let's just go pull that video of you." Yeah. That video has probably got a lot more views than that documentary. I, but we'll oh, see. Yeah. Maybe I, I, the funniest way is like, you know, this will live forever. Like, oh, the, the last one you made that got deleted like a day after we went on YouTube because probably someone in, in your company said, hey, this ain't a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, th- yeah. this is, look, at the end of the day, Dana wants the media to be an extension of his PR department. Certainly, certainly, and, and and not to call him out when when things don't go great, but you know that's not going to happen ever, right? The the media, so many of us, very resilient. Um, so many of us, some of us, I do things that I don't like. Some of us are PR for various promotions like the yep. UFC, but there's quite a few of us that are very resilient. Uh, we don't do it because. We make a lot of money off of it. We do it because we love the sport a lot. And we love talking about the sport. And we love providing that perspective. And we will never go away. And some of those great journalists uh, will keep on chugging along, man. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how that documentary comes out. I, I'm uh, I'm interested. Uh, you know, Hopefully I won't have to venture out to rumble.com to watch it. We'll see if it's on ESPN+. Plus. Maybe it'll be a 30 for 30. Dude, you, you know what the interesting thing about the whole power slap thing? What? It just makes me go, hmm. So you're going to Rumble. Now, look, Rumble is, you know, putting out money there for content creators. Okay. So obviously they were willing to offer something. I mean, it, it kind of sounds like TBS made a decision of, you know, we're not interested in season two. They found a deal. But to me, the mm part of this was Dana essentially going and say, hey, we're taking power slap to Abu Dhabi. Is that maybe because maybe the state of Nevada has said uh, we're one and done? Yeah, I that's that was my immediate thought. I thought the state of Nevada looked like a joke when it came to this situation. Um, that's my personal opinion. I, I just felt like there's no reason why this should have been regulated. It's it's a crazy sport. I'm a man who loves crazy sports, right? I, I drive. Um, five hours every week and spend money to learn how to fall backwards and get hit in the head. I love pro wrestling. I love mixed martial arts. I love boxing. I love kickboxing, Jason. I love watching bull riding, slap fighting. And it's just uh, it the, the lack of defense just really gets me. I saw an interesting tweet. And, you know, in Twitter, they've got the – Essentially, they've, they've created like a, a TikTok timeline for you, the for you section or the people you're following section. 
And it was on the For You the other day, and it was, I'm guessing it had to be a Muay Thai fighter who said, hey, Dana, it would have been better off for you to create your own Muay Thai league as opposed to a power slap league. And I thought that was kind of interesting because Muay Thai is, uh, you know, there was a, a, a Muay Thai promotion. Um, God, they did shows on Access TV or... Um, I can't think of what it's called now. Chris Cyborg fought for him. Oh, I don't even know. Uh, but I can give you a quick. But, but no, but there's never lion been a big fight. Lion, lion fight. fight. Yeah, lion fight. And, but there's really never been this big push for Muay Thai promotion in the U.S. And, and when I saw that, I was like, damn, you know what? With the UFC's PR machine, I feel like if you would have brought a Muay Thai league out, it would not have the the feeling that it is, but it was, I'll say this, like I didn't watch the fights live on Saturday, but when I went back on Twitter, it seemed like there was a lot of people in the MMA community, at least tweeting about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can watch it for free. So that was phenomenal. Um, you're right. You don't have to pay for it. And, and that's, that's great. I, mean, but, I, I, uh, feel, I feel like what, you know, I could go on, on TikTok and Instagram. And I can kind of pretty much watch the card. Yeah. I mean, the action is seconds. It's yeah. It's it's not like a UFC fight. It's not like the main event of UFC two eighty six. Which, like you, I'm thinking this goes twenty five. Uh, I've uh, you know, like man. By the way, when the last time we did pay per view predictions, I was off on so many of the fights. I, I really was. Even on Bellator, like I picked, I picked Vassell to lose, and he didn't. I picked freaking um, uh, Tafik to beat Shabli. He didn't. So I need to I need to I need to get these right. And Jason, I'm leaning Usman. The wrestling is just too yeah. big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. My, yeah. My, my pick is Usman because of the wrestling. I just I, I feel like he's just going to utilize I think he realizes that look, the only way Leon can win this fight is if he makes a mistake on the feet. If he just takes him down every round, he's gonna he's gonna walk away. I mean, because you know, one of the things when you go back and you watch that first fight. The thing that sticks out to me is you can just see, especially going after that fourth round is over, Leon Edwards looked like a mentally defeated athlete. And that, I mean, look, and, and give him kudos. He, you know, Usman makes one mistake and he, you know, he knocks him out. But I just, I feel like Usman wins this decision. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Usman got a, a fourth or fifth round stoppage with ground and pound on the ground. But to me, my official pick is Kamar Usman. Yeah, yeah. Again, the the one thing that's making me hesitate is Leon is a better stand up fighter than Kamaru, and, and there's a pretty sizable margin in their skill sets. Edwards has to know what Kamaru's game plan is, and he had to have worked on it. I just don't think he's going to be able to stop those takedowns, and I think Kamaru has to be so motivated to 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 right the ship here. I mean, you gotta think it's been eating him up. I mean, watching the UFC embedded, it's crazy that he was literally just this week rewatching that fight. He has tackled this traumatic situation head on, and it all comes to a head on Saturday. And I think he'll succeed, but I do think we're gonna see a much better Leon than we did last time out. And also, one other point: don't forget, Leon is an impeccably talented fighter within the clinch. His his ability to Impact a fighter with strikes within the clinch is very, very good. And that may be a, a pivotal point in that fight. But, 
Yep, both of us are picking Usman. So, hey, congrats to Leon on his first title defense. <laughs> now, the code man event, uh, all caps, B-A-N-G-E-R. I mean, that's about the best way to put this one. Justin Gaethje taking on Rafael Fizia. Fizia of a minus 230 betting favorite, Justin Gaethje, plus 190. And this, to me, is the question mark. So, we know where Gaethje trains. He has been with Kamar Usman preparing for this event. If Justin Gaethje utilizes wrestling, which I feel like is a term we have talked about for Justin Gaethje for years, if he utilizes wrestling, it to me is his clear bath because the better technical striker is Rafael Fiziev. Yeah. You know, Justin has been out and he's been talking about how he's the most exciting fighter in the history of the UFC. And it's hard to argue with him. But maybe it's all a front. Maybe he's putting this out because he's getting, you know, Fazeev ready to go to war. I swear to God, every time I see Fazeev's comments on Embedded, he's like talking about how blood. He's like, there will be blood. I love blood. Blood. Like he's ready for war. And maybe Justin is doing a good old, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon pump fake. And he's going to come out here and wrestle. Do I think he's going to do that? Hell nah, bro. I think he's going to bang. I think Julian Lane somewhere is going to he's going to be a, a really happy camper. Um, simply put, Justin gets hit in his fight. <laughs> he has gotten rocked. Granted, after he gets rocked, he usually does this thing where he hits his opponent harder. I'm so interested to see if he's going to be able to do that against Fazeev. I don't know, man. This is a massive step up in competition for Raphael. He's never fought a fighter as good as Gaethje. He's never fought a striker as good as Gaethje. He's never fought a fighter who's going to bring the fight to him like that. Just as the type of guy who can make your technique worse with the way he fights you. He makes things uglies. He puts you in positions where you make mistakes and your head's there and so is his fist. That's what makes this a hell of a fight. That's what makes Justin Gaethje a very live dog in this one. But looking at both these guys' most recent fights, I have more confidence in the idea that Fazeev technically is going to catch Gaethje more often and win this fight. The big question is, will it be via finish or be a decision? And the answer is, I believe Gaethje will get rocked multiple times, but he will make it the 15 minutes, and this will be your fight of the night. What a bold prediction there. Fiziev wins via decision, plus 225, plus 700 for Gaethje to win via decision here. Um, wow. I, mean, I, I feel like if I was going to play a prop bet on Justin Gaethje, I'd probably just go for the plus 300 Gaethje wins inside the distance. I mean, look, we, we know that he's going to bring those leg kicks, but, you know, we've been constantly, you know, talking about if he ever does utilize this wrestling. We know he has a wrestling pedigree. He just doesn't use it in mixed martial arts. And I understand that he wants to be this exciting fighter, go out, win those fight of the night bonuses. But, you know, I feel like for Gaethje, this could be a, a situation of when you look at the depth at 155, if he doesn't get the victory on Saturday, this may end his days as a title contender. I think, I think so. I mean, the thing with Justin is because of his fight style, his legacy, and his name value, he's never going to be that far away from the prime time. His next fight will probably, if he loses, 
his next fight will probably be on pay-per-view again or he'll main event a fight night card. So because of that name value, even with the loss, Jason, I think he'll be in those positions to bounce back up. But I think it's maybe more so about the skill set contending with those top 155ers. It's just like, man, you know, Gaethje versus Fazeev, that's a tough matchup, you know. Uh, Gaethje versus Gamrot, that's a tough matchup. Gaethje versus Dariush, that's a tough matchup. It's a matchup where I think he could knock out Dariush, but it's still a tough matchup. So I wouldn't write off Justin with a loss here just because I believe Fazeev is probably the second best lightweight that's not a champion right now behind Charles. That's where I would rank him. That's how good I feel about his stand-up. But – there is a lot on the line for Gaethje, and because he's in the second part of his mixed more shorts career, a loss like this would be devastating. I'm picking Fazeev just because, to me, he's just a better technical striker, and I feel like he's not going to get into the brawl that Gaethje wants. But, like, look, there is a clear, there's two clear paths to Jesse Gaethje winning this fight. A, making a brawl, or B, being a true mixed martial artist and blending everything together, utilizing his wrestling, utilizing his leg kicks. But to me, Rafael Fiziev is a pick for me. Yeah, I wonder what the pre-fight strategy sessions are like with Trevor Whitman, who's a smart dude. Is he telling Justin, Justin, let's do some wrestling? And Justin's just kind of like dozing off. He's like, oh, oh fight of the night. But like I, I do wonder what Trevor's perspective is on this, on Justin choosing not to utilize a very clear path to victory. But man, we are in lockstep with these top two fights. I've got Fazeev as well, Jason. Gunnar Nelson versus Byron Barbarena. Gunnar Nelson, nearly a four to one betting favor, minus three seventy. Brian Barbarena plus two ninety. The path is very clear to Gunnar Nelson winning this fight. It's utilizing grappling and taking Brian Barbarena down and not allowing Brian Barbarena to make this a brawl. If you tell me this thing stays on the feet, Brian Barbarena's got a shot as a uh, as a underdog to win here. But to me, Gunnar Nelson likely takes him down, takes him down at will. We've seen Brian Barbarena get taken out at will in other fights. This should be a Gunnar Nelson win. But also, I understand that Barbarena, if he can make this into a Bam Bam style fight, he's got a chance. This is my prediction. I've never made a prediction like this ever in the history of this podcast, but I will make it today. I believe Gunnar Nelson is going to come out here and he's going to win round one and two with his wrestling. But I think he's going to get a little tired. I think in round three, Barbarana is going to knock him down. And he's going to beat him bad. And I think when this fight's over, it's going to be a draw. <laughs> I am predicting a draw between Nelson and Barbarana. Let's see if that one comes to fruition. I think it'll be 10-9, 10-9, and then 10-8 Barbarana in round three. Uh, I'm now I'm just going to pull up best fight odds and see do we do we have a prop bet because that uh, I do not put draw prop bets in my spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, I mean, it hardly here. ever happens. Scrolling down here, scrolling down best fight odds. I guess I got to go all the way to the bottom here. It's got to be a draw. You're just throwing money away. You're just throwing money away if you pick a draw. But you know, my dumb butt is picking it. I'm not seeing one for a draw. That's interesting. You, you know, there's got to be a book that says out there by draw. Oh, here it is. Never mind. Uh, fight is a draw plus 5,000. All right, man. Let's lay down some peanuts. Put down $5. Peanut <laughs> lay down some peanuts. Get some peanut butter. 
Yeah, but I, I think it's uh, it's Gunnar Nelson. Uh, Marvin Torres on this card. Um, I, I like him getting Roman Delize. I think he just takes Roman Delize down. Um, I do like Casey O'Neill against Jennifer Maya. Uh, it's just to see what Jack Shore looks like moving up to 145 pounds, taking on Mark Juan Amir Khani. Uh, you know, in terms of the wrestler prelims, uh, Muhammad Makayev is is a very interesting name. He's a huge betting favorite. He's a nine to one betting favorite. Uh, you got the re- uh, return of Lerone Murphy. Uh, Christian Duncan's a, a young guy to pay attention to. He's taking on Dusko Todorovic. Um, and uh, you know, the opening fight of the night is Juliana Miller from Tough taking on Veronica Hardy, who is now the wife of Dan Hardy. We all know the UFC and Dan Hardy don't see eye to eye one bit at all. I feel like this is a setup fight by the UFC. And uh, if Veronica Hardy does not win, her days in the UFC will be over. Yeah, that sucks for her. Um, Unfortunately for her, her resume isn't particularly great, but it wouldn't be a shock if that happens. It's been a while since we've seen her fight. Um, I, I think when you look at the prelims, her opponent, Juliana Miller, is one of those fighters who sticks out. When you talk about star power, star potential, she's one of them. She's one of those fighters that I think the UFC has to have bookmarked as a potential star. And I think it's it's, it's a big night for the women's flyweight division, right? This is a division that has been looking good lately with Blanchfield's big win with the upset one Grasso over uh, Shevchenko. And you have three really good uh, fights in the main card. O'Neal Maya, as you mentioned, two top fighters in that weight class. Joanne Wood, uh, who had a great start to her UFC career, is looking to change things as, as she returns to the cage. And I think she has to stand up to do so against a tough opponent in Louisiana, Carolina. And Juliana Miller, to me, again, star power, exciting fighter, um, still incredibly green. She's going to be a completely different fighter five years from now. And then obviously the other two stars in my mind in the future is, is Jack and uh, Mikhaev. You know, Mikhaev is someone with a higher ceiling. He's so much younger. He's already displayed it. I think it's a foregone conclusion that he's probably going to win this fight. It's just a matter of making it more impressive than his most recent fight, which he had some excuses to justify why it wasn't a highlight reel win. And then, yeah, I mean, Jack's got a, got a tough fight against Amir Khani, right? He's coming out that loss of Simone, moving up in weight, and he's got a, a stalwart of the UFC in Mac 1 Amir Khani. So uh, overall, it, it's a pretty good prelims, not to mention the middleweight matchup you mentioned on the main card. Vittori Delice, it's a good fight and a good opportunity for Vittori to get back into form. You know, we're in this world where it seems like more it's more likely than not a fighter retires. After an event, we saw Benson Henderson last week. There to me is two candidates on this card. One, you just mentioned Joanne Wood. I felt like she had retired before after the last five, five. Maybe I'm wrong. The other candidate to me is if he does not get the win, Kamaru Usman. Wow. I mean, because of the wear and tear on his body, because of the fact that he seems like a very smart man, even though he probably spends a lot of money on all of his clothes and crap, I feel like he probably saves up his money uh, pretty well. He seems like a really smart man, and he could probably be a, a broadcaster or whatever the hell he wants. But 100%, yes, I, I could see that. I think those are two strong cases. Uh, I don't know. The only other one is maybe um, 
Maybe 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 Brian Barberina. Oh no, he's thirty three. Never mind. I'm just totally wrong on that one. Maybe Gunnar no, Nelson. I, I, no, I feel he's thirty four. Like, I feel like because no. you remember Brian had the the major back issue. I mean, he, I want to say back surgery. Um, and, and you know he's kind of t- he's he's hinted at, at retirement in the past. That that's another good one. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think uh, I think those are the two. Or you know, maybe Veronica Hardy just prematurely gets in front of the. Uh, the situation and, and leaves the gloves in the cage. But, you know, I, hopefully, you know, maybe she'll pull off the upset. It certainly could happen. By the way, I'm surprised that PFL has uh, given Dan Hardy a job in the promotion. Well, the thing about Dan Hardy is he has an audience with his content, you know? And <laughs> I'll say this. I feel like there's more people who don't care for him in the industry that, than, than that do care for him. It feels like he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and especially the way kind of the USC's thing played out, it'll be kind of interesting. I guess he's going to be a commentator for their Europe shows. Um, will he be uh, berating officials like we, we saw? And I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying when you're, you know, when you're an official with the organization, you, you just can't be doing that. And, and by the way, speaking of your retirements and questionable things, Rafael Sunsau with what happened with him last weekend. And it's an interesting call by Keith Peterson in that fight against Davy Grant. Cause to me, Keith should have just yelled out the point deduction as opposed to Rafael Sunsau losing a fairly g- good position as he's trying to get to the ground. And then not too long after that, he gets submitted. Yeah, and, and for those that didn't see the preliminary fight last week between Grant and Asuncao, just to lay it out for y'all, fight was in round three, close two rounds. I don't know if the scorecards have been published. They may have, and I didn't get it, but Asuncao may have been up. Regardless, Asuncao was going for a takedown, kind of completed it, kind of didn't. If you're Asuncao's corner, you think you did. Um, um, uh, Grant grabs the cage to prevent the takedown from going down. Referee Peterson separates them, deducts a point, starts the fight standing. Uh, Grant rocks the Sun Sal with the spinning back fist. The Sun Sal shoots in for a takedown, gets the inverted triangle choke locked on. So that's what happened. And the other detail I'll add is a very classic quote from a Sun Sal's coach, Eric Nixick. This is what he said. In the questionable restarting position, I was told that Raphael wasn't on top. So it was decided to take the point and start from neutral. I disagree with that assessment because when you watch it through, Raphael completed the takedown despite the fence grab. At the very least, it would have made more sense to allow them to restart from an over-under or a single leg position, but certainly from a similar position that represented the position before restart. The rest of his quote, he he gives kudos to Keith Peterson as a a marvelous MMA referee and whatnot. So uh, that is the perspective from Nick Sick. I would agree with what Eric said there. And by the way, I found the scorecard. Asansa was up two rounds to, uh, to, to zero on two of the three judges scorecards. Saldi Amato had the fight tied 1919. Yeah, it was a close fight. Um, so that's crazy and critical because look, Asansa is 40 years old. This is uh this is, um, it's a nut cut in time in his career. And uh, a loss like this is devastating. And you could make a really good case if they weren't started back in that neutral position, he would have got the win over a tough Davy Grant. And um, my analysis on the situation is simple, and it's two pronged. 
and it the first part of my deal is that I believe that any fence grab should be an automatic point deduction. I will die on this hill. I believe strongly because grabbing the fence, as I've said time and again, is a clear intentional foul. It's not a mistake like a groin strike or an eye poke. Secondly, when that point deduction is made, it should just be verbally said by the referee as the fight's going on, much like a boxing official. When something goes down that warrants a point deduction, the fight's still going on, but he yeah. makes that communication. In a situation like that, that's what I would like to see. No, I'm, I'm with you there. Also, Rob Davichuli goes out there and gets the win where he was had 49 takedown attempts in a 25-minute fight. I didn't think I would ever see a fight where someone attempted 49 takedowns. He gets 11. And, of course, uh, you know, typical Dana White mode. Not exactly thrilled with the fact that he has a fighter that says, no, I won't fight the champ because he's my best friend. And Dana, of course, you know, oh, he's going to regret that decision. Um, typical Dana White mode. Um, but Marab, I mean, look, he looked great. And you think about, you know, we talked about how this sport can change. Think about this not that long ago that – Jan gets DQ'd against Aljo. And look how his, his career has gone since then. Yep. Had the fight against O'Malley that I thought he won. He didn't. The judges gave it to O'Malley. And then he goes up against Marab, and he looks the worst he's ever looked since I've seen him fight in the UFC. This was a star-making performance for Dwalishvili. I mean, his ability to shoot and, and have success, even when the takedowns don't land – it's impeccable. It's remarkable. Um, and I guess my question to you, who do you think is the best bantamweight in the world? If they were matched up, who would you pick? Aljo and Marab? This is where I would love to see those sparring sessions. <laughs> and what do they look like? My gut says Aljo. I would but, say Marab, bro. But I just wonder about that pace of Marab. Does just does it put a pace on you? I mean, it's like when you look at these stats, these takedowns. First round, one of eight. Second round, three of seven. Third round, one of fourteen. Fourth round, one of eight, and then five of twelve in the fifth round. I mean, it's um, you know, if you've listened to what those two guys have talked about, it, it always seems like the plan is for Aljo to go up to forty-five, and then Marab get a chance at thirty-five, but. The fighting style of Rob Dalvili is not a fighting style Dana White likes. I mean, we both know this. This, this isn't. We're not saying something crazy here, um, you know. But it will be interesting to kind of see what they do with Marab. I mean, you know, we've got the title matchup on May six. If you put a backup fighter, who's the backup fighter? Doesn't sound like Sean O'Malley is very interested in being the backup fighter. Which I can't blame yeah, I Sean it's, O'Malley. It's probably going to be either Marab. You know, well, obviously if he. Um, he won't fight Aljo, but if Aljo pulls out, you know, Dwalish Feely will probably be there, but the other one has to be the winner of, of Vera and Cian Hagen. Yeah, I has mean, to be the backup fighter. To me, if I'm in Marab's camp, that's got to be, the thought has got to be, let me take on the winner of that fight. And I, I, I with Sean O'Malley, I don't know. I guess if you're Sean O'Malley, you're probably getting the winner of the title shot. But I if, don't think if, I don't think he beats either one of them. I don't, but I also didn't think he was going to beat Peter Jan, and here we are. But I, I think the way this all shakes out is Aljo moves up after the Cejudo fight. I think he beat Cejudo. And I think to crown a new champion, unfortunately for Suga, 
he's probably going to go up against Marab. And we're going to have O'Malley Marab, which is just an awful matchup for O'Malley. Oh, God. An awful matchup. Yeah. I mean, Dude, you can't think of a worse matchup. Marab might be a six or seven one betting favorite. Yeah, I mean, just stylistically, it's just – I mean, the dude out-wrestled Peter Yan. That's why I would pick him in a fight against Aljo, honestly. Yeah. I mean, is, it's uh, like I, – I, I may have said this stat on the show last week. Aljo was three of 39 in two fights in takedown against Peter Yan. Wow. That really puts into perspective what we saw last week. And it puts into perspective how Marab is just a different dude – and we've gotten that sense out of him as he's risen up the ranks is he's just a different dude. And also he's a hell of a teammate because he never passes up the opportunity to put over Aljo and, and, and put over the respect he has for him. So he's a hell of a teammate, man. He really is. And the thing is, I don't think this is going to be a situation where he will regret not going for the championship fight. I do believe Wallace really will have a Bantamweight championship around his waist. By the way, Usman Nurmagomedov. Good Lord. This dude is special. Yeah. Was, was that, was, were those fights this past weekend? Yeah, that was, that was last Friday. Oh, night. I, I was saying it's like, like look, it, when Usman <laughs> got the tile shot, I was like, man, I don't know if he deserves this tile shot. God did you talk about, we'd love to see a Marab and Aljo sparring session. What does a Usman Nurmagomedov and Islam Ahatshev sparring session look like? Like, I Dude, feel I, like if I'm Javier Mendez at AKA, I can start selling tickets to sparring sessions. Yeah, yeah. And that has to be an iron sharpens iron situation. Dude, we're recording Thursday night, so it's a little later than we usually do. And when we t- when you talked about Benson and when I talked about my picks being wrong, I was thinking that was from two weeks ago, not last week. It's been so long. But, yeah, dude, uh, Usman was amazing. Uh, Benson Henderson is a legend. Respect to him. That Tufik Shabli fight was the weirdest, most Bellator situation I've ever seen where the dude landed a fight-ending strike but also hit his groin at the end, and I was like, I don't know what the hell is happening. Um, that was so strange, Jason, was it not? I mean, what did you think of that situation? Oh, God, I'm, I'm watching it. My, my first thought was like, was replay used and, and all that. It's a fee, you know, mentioned like, Hey, you know, um, you know, don't, don't forget. We have Michael page, Bullock Patel attendant of Goji. Dude, that kick was crazy, bro. Like that was crazy. They kept on showing that replay over and over again. And you could see it. And all I can say is, man, I love watching that dude fight. Michael page is one hell of an asset for Bellator. And John McCarthy loses. In fact, Jason Jackson is getting the next title matchup. But, you know, one of the the talking points after that Bellator event is this top-heavy Bellator roster. And when you look at their champions, and we both know that the reality is overall in our industry, no one is going to say the best fighter in a weight class is a non-UFC fighter. But if you start looking at some of the champions in Bellator – Let's start with Vadim Nemkov. Who's the best light heavyweight in the world right now? If you tell me Vadim Nemkov, I have no problems with with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, straight up, if he's fighting Jamal Hill, I'm probably picking Jamal Hill. But Jamal Hill, Yuri, Ankalaev, none of them have shut the door on that situation. They're a part of that same group as Nemkov. I think that's a toss-up. 
Well, you remember Nimkov fought Yuri and Ryzen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, granted, it's a different Yuri, but still, oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Valid point, valid point, though. And it's a different Vadim. <laughs> okay. You know? Johnny Eblin at 185. This is an interesting one to me. Well, it's a matchup situation. You got to think he's going to be able to take down Alex. Yeah. I mean, I look at it and I say, if you tell me he's taking on Alex Bahia and you pick Johnny Eblin, I have no problem. I don't think I would pick him against Izzy. And I also probably would not pick him uh, against Robert Whitaker or hell, even Jared Cannonier, to be frank with you. But that's, you know, the matchup against Alex Pereira, you can clearly see that Eblin can just take this dude down if he doesn't get smoked in 30 seconds, which, you know, Alex is like one of the most fun strikers to watch right now. But that's another toss-up when you're comparing the two companies' champions. So I just pulled up the Tapology middleweight rankings. It's kind of interesting they have Izzy at one, Whitaker two, Alex three, Canier four, Strickland five, Johnny Eblen. Good Lord. How low is he on this list? Is he like 12? Dude, I'm like 30. Did I miss him? He must've missed him. There's no way he's, he's below 30. I mean, he beat Musasi. Um, let me, let me get in there. Let me get in the, I, I can't, I can't figure out the topology. I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm scrolling down. I mean, there's no way he's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now. Uh, I also don't see him and that's because gay guard is 23. Do they hate Johnny Eblin? Dude. I mean, I'm, I'm now. Uh, why Bo Nickel is freaked 47th. Johnny. Eblin, let's see here. I went, I just went to, they have, he's at 24th. I guess how I'm, did I, how did I, I miss that? Uh, oh, oh, he's right underneath Gegard, which is weird know, because you know, you know, you know how we missed it. It's because they start off with the human cheat code. Nickname. Yeah. 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 It doesn't start off with Johnny. We were looking for that J yeah, but you know, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yaroslav Amosov. If you tell me it's against Leon Edwards, I'm picking Amosov. Yeah, and very similar to the middleweight situation, right? Like, I'm picking Usman over Amosov, but Amosov and Edwards probably looks a lot like the uh, Usman-Edwards fight we're about to see. Okay. Tapology has Yaroslav Amosov as the number 25 welterweight in the world. I He's definitely top 10. So I think clearly the Tapology rankings heavily devalue Bellator fights. Yeah, it's part of the formula. Yeah. I can only imagine where Usman or Magomedov is. I bet he's higher than you think. He is 14th. Yeah, so that's probably higher than you think. Okay, to me, Usman, he might be in my top five. Um... Yeah, I would I would probably put him top five. I mean, straight up, if he gets matched up with Michael Chandler, I'm picking Usman. He gets matched up with Rafael Fiziev. That's a tough one. It's a Dude, very tough fight. I'm telling you what, man. You no, want to special. talk about one of the best signings Bellator has made over the past couple of years? Usman Nurmagomedov is right now the best signing they've made the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, the past two to three years. I can't think he's, of another one that would jump there. He's only 24 years old, Daniel. Yeah, 
I think uh, he, he's he's phenomenal. I mean, ben, I mean Benson was a great you know a great opponent for him because he has a great name value and it was easy to run through when he was ready to retire. But yeah, but I mean you know you, you look at some of these other weight classes. I mean it's close too, right? You have Volk obviously is probably going to be the pick for best featherweight in the world and and Aljo as well at bantamweight. But still, Bellator's got some good fighters in both those weight classes. Patricio versus Volkanovski that would be a hell of a fight. Here's the only downside about this lightweight Grand Prix. There's one major downside. What? Give me Usman Magomedov, AJ McKee right now. I don't want to wait. Yeah. MMA gods are a son of a bitch. They'll make sure this fight don't happen. I know. I know, right? That's the big money match. It's going to be Usman and Shabley, right? Uh, no, Shabley is now. They're on the opposite side of the brackets. Uh, so who's Usman is waiting for the uh, premise and... Um, Mansoir winner, oh, wow. which that'll be in May in Paris, I want to say. Yeah, dude, Shabley's really good, so he might play spoiler to AJ. Like, it's, like Shabley's stand-up is... It's so weird. They still have not announced a date for Patricio and AJ McKee. That is very strange when two fights have already happened in the Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 super weird. But, you know, it, it is as very much of like, you know, you know obviously the, the kind of the talking point is, you know, the number two MMA promotion in the world. And I still think, I mean, like, look, I would, I think the Bellator roster is better than the PFL, but it's very clear fighters would rather go to PFL, especially if they know they can get in that tournament and potentially, you know, win three fights or four fights and you get a million dollar paycheck. Yeah. I think it's close. I think they're neck and neck. Um, I think PFL has had a much better past 12 months in Bellator. Yeah. But maybe this lightweight Grand Prix, I mean, I, I enjoyed the card we saw last Saturday. I really did. Obviously, there was some negatives with the injuries and the finish to Shabli and uh, Tufik. But it was a good card. Um, the thing is, a Bellator is you have a, a dope card like that, and then it's just like, oh, my God. Really? Goldman, Daniel James? What the hell are we doing, Bellator? Yeah. I mean, and it's like Chris Cyborg is talking up the whole Singano and Liam McCord and almost kind of talking up Liam McCord being a potential opponent. I'm like, I've watched Liam McCord fight. If she fights Chris Cyborg, that's going to be a very bad night for Liam McCord. Yeah, there's, like, there's, and yeah. It was, it was, but it was interesting, Scott, talking about the kind of free agency of Chris Cyborg. And it's clear that he wants to be in that business, but. I almost feel like Scott is sitting back and saying, but what fight can I put on that gets people interested? Well, there, there's not going to be a fight that has a close betting odds, but I think Zingano McCourt versus Cyborg is a semi-marketable fight, and that's going to be what they do next. Again, Chris, Chris's biggest opponent, and here's the thing. This is what's going to happen if she continues to fight. Her biggest opponent... And it's going to lead to one of the best upsets we'll see. It's going to be father time or mother time in her case. At some point, the bloom comes off the rose. You know, the thing about Cyborg is she has skills that take a long time to evaporate. Power doesn't go away really ever. So I, I think at some point she's going to lose a fight and it's going to be a complete and utter shock. But I think it's probably going to just be, be because it's time to retire. I mean, she's been doing this damn thing since Gina Carano wasn't canceled. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's 37 years old. 
but she'd been fighting since uh, 2005, opened up with a loss. So somewhere, Erica Pais is out here saying, I have a win over Cyborg. I'm the only fighter other than Amanda Nunez that has a win over Cyborg in MMA. Yeah, I mean, like, if Singano beats Lee McCourt, then I think Bellator has a, at least one marketable fight for Chris. Yeah. Um, but that's a fight Bellator's been trying to make for the last year and a half, two years. Yes, but I will say if McCourt wins, you could market that in Europe. Oh, th- that's a fight you 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 put in London. Put yeah, in London. I mean, I mean, you could sell tickets to that. You could, you know, uh, fans would buy. In, European fans would buy into watching that happen. Uh, but obviously, when you watch her fights, you don't think this is a, a suitable challenger for Cyborg. And, and yeah, yeah, we'll see. But you know, that's that's uh, things. There's only one fight I'm looking forward to, and it's Kayla Harrison and. Don't think that one's ever going to happen at this point. So, yeah, I, I saw some. Um, I know Amy Capital fan side talked to uh, Pacheco about him. Pacheco wants to fight, but you know, I, I don't. I don't get what the PFL is doing there. I, I really don't. Yeah, we've talked about that one. That was that was just the most. Uh, that was the most shocking thing, man. I mean, it's it's more shock than watching my Houston Rockets play defense than not doing <laughs> that. Uh, that fight, I mean, that just seemed like the most easy way to start your next season, but they dropped the ball. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, but I will say this: uh, I'm actually going to. Uh, I'm I'm going to the PGA Tour event tomorrow. It's the first time I've actually gone to a PGA Tour event and not worked. So that should be interesting. By the way, I'm, what, in, uh, all you, I'm in all you can eat, all you can drink uh, tent. So that'll be fun. Dude, I'm so jealous of you, bro. That sounds amazing. I would put on so much weight. You know, uh, I got this wrestling thing. I have two more weeks of it. And the first day I give back, I'm going to get a lot of beer. I'm going to get a lot of chicken wings, and I'm going to eat a lot. I'm going to drink a lot. So I will be living vicariously through you. Is Because um, I know sometimes on the PGA Tour, uh, some events not all the top golfers go to. Are all the top guys going to be there? Uh, yeah, they've got a good, good amount of the top I uh, like is, is is you know Scheffler's gonna go. Uh, I know. Uh, Justin Thomas Beef is in the is in the um in the well, field. That's good. I mean, it makes sense because all these dudes are in Jupiter, so it's like yeah. It, it's yeah. So, dude, that's awesome. Are you gonna go all four days or no? Just I'm just one I'm going. I'm, yeah, I'm just going tomorrow. Dude, that's gonna be freaking awesome, bro. Yeah, that's gonna be freaking awesome. Well, I'm happy for you. I, I would love to go to one. I'm starting to slowly but surely get into PGA uh, because it had a Netflix series, which is how things get popular oh, nowadays. Oh, great, great, great documentary. Yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was fun. Uh, do you have a favorite golfer after having watched that or before? Do you have someone you root for? Oh, oh, you know who it is. Come on. Let me think about it. Uh, is it uh, who? Justin Thomas? No, 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 no. Come on, man. Who who looks like the partier? Uh, Damon? Yeah. <laughs> no, but is there anybody you root for that actually has a chance of winning? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Joel. Sorry, Joel Damon. Dude, I heard a hilarious interview where he talked about – well, wait, no. It wasn't an interview. It was in the damn documentary. It, but he has in interviews. He also talks about how he's done this before. But when he drank to make the U.S. Open, 
just a, a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious story. Yeah, not, not Joel is uh, he's plus two. He's tied for eighty fifth, so not looking too good for him. Oh yeah, hey man, maybe he uh, has some white claws and he can bounce back. But at least you have an opportunity to see him. I mean, for me, bro, I, I love all the a lot of dudes. Like I like Colin Morikawa. I, I think he's cool and hip. Um, obviously I got to root for Jordan Spieth because he's a Texas boy, even though he did go to UT since I'm an Aggie fan, that's a red flag, but I'm, you know, Texas boy, got to root for him. Yeah. And then I think the, uh, and I, I guess Scheffler's a Texas boy too, I think. Um, yeah, I think the other one I really like is I got to root for Rory. I like the fact that he's kind of become the leader yeah. and it would be, it'd be real nice to see him win another major. It really would. And hell, Tiger, I hope Tiger wins another one. That that Masters he won. And look, if someone who's played golf, they make it look so goddamn easy, and it's not. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to pick up my golf game. I'll start doing that in about five years. <laughs> I mean, or literally, they could just say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to put the ball right, right there, a little to the right." You know, yeah. I, I just swing and see where the ball goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can imagine it's like that. I mean, that's why Tiger was so good because. Uh, he did something we've never seen and probably never will see until his son gets on the course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, growing up in that era, man, that was crazy. I mean, Tiger yeah. literally brought people to play golf. You I mean, you talk about someone who changed the game. And I, I don't even know in MMA who you'd say that is. I think, I think for this younger generation, it's probably Connor. But before that, I think it's Brock. Yeah. Before that, I think it's Chuck. I think Chuck brought Connor. And Ronda Rousey deserves a mention, too. She, yeah, she, she did for the woman's part. No, she has to be in that. She has to be in that conversation. Yeah, and in between Chuck and Brock is probably either GSP or Anderson. And, yeah, I mean, ironically enough, the GOAT isn't someone I think of immediately. But John Jones has always been like the number three pay-per-view draw throughout his yeah. entire run. He's never been that top dog. Yeah, yeah, I think it ended up being like the number four top grossing gate for the UFC. Of all time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, inflation. Also, they charge a lot. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, bro, it is not cheap to go to a, uh, a UFC card. Just not. I mean, it's... It, I'll be interested to see if they sell out Miami. That's going to be a really, that's going to say a lot because I, I know some people down in South Florida, the, uh, the conversation about those ticket sales are, is an interesting one of just saying like you, you've priced out a lot of people. They just yeah. say, I can't afford that. I think the UFC is in a situation where, because they have that sellout streak, even if they don't, they're going to figure out a way to sell out and just keep that street going forever and ever because it's good PR. Oh, oh, I'm sure. But it, it's just, it's one of those things where I look at it and I just go like, man, like if, if you're the, the paycheck, the paycheck kind of sports fan, which I, mm -hmm. I tend to believe that's a lot of sports fans. I, I don't know how it is feasible for that person. I mean, upper level tickets are five, six hundred, seven hundred dollars. I, you know, that's why I'd be interested. I, you now, you know, Saturday will be our second pay per view in three weeks. Yeah. Are people going to buy that pay per view or are they going to find alternate ways to watch it? Whether it's going on, you know, a unique way to find a website that you don't pay for 
Or is it going out to your local sports bar that's going to have the fights? I think it might be a sports bar situation because you're going to get the March Madness um, along with the pay-per-view, and you're probably going to be wanting to spend money on the on the Miami card. Um, and because the start time is several hours earlier, I, I do think the buy rate is going to be lower. But I will say that the promotion has been spot on with this card. I've been if I was Usman, if I was Edwards. I would be really happy with the way the UFC promoted this fight, you know. So you know, we, we'll come out and we'll call a spade a spade, right? If we think that they didn't do it well, like with the Islam fight, we'll say it. But I will yeah. say I'm feeling the hype. I'm feeling the buzz. They've gotten people excited for Usman Edwards three. Yeah, no, no. I, I would say, I mean, that video, that promotional video they did that was absolutely spot on. But uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this uh, week's episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, by the way, no podcast on Sunday, but me and Daniel will be back next Wednesday for another edition of the podcast. Appreciate you tuning in, whether you're watching us on YouTube or on the podcasting platforms. And we will talk to you next week right here on the MMA Report Podcast.